0: Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading, exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Srihari Pandit, CEO of Stealth Communications, which provides fiber internet to businesses in New York City. Stealth has been active since 1995, and over the past couple of years, it's extended its service to the South Bronx, Harlem, and underserved areas of Brooklyn. We discussed the company's recent expansion of services and what it takes to get fiber to underserved urban areas, how ending the digital divide will change the US economy, and why traditional government funding methods for ending the digital divide aren't exactly working. Srihari, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. So just to start things off, why don't you tell me a little bit about Stealth Communications and where you're active, and in particular, where you're reaching underserved customers?
1: So Stealth Communications is an independently owned internet service provider. We provide internet connectivity to businesses in New York City, and uh, we've been doing so since 1995. We actually have constructed our own fiber optic system in New York City, so we've been installing fiber um, cables and infrastructure block by block. And predominantly our coverage is um, throughout Manhattan, going all the way up into Harlem area. And um, over the last couple of years, we've been extending that into the South Bronx. And so Harlem and the South Bronx in particular have been underserved in the business communities. So we're very excited to be able to extend our coverage up there. And in addition, we've also built out in in downtown Brooklyn and in Sunset Park, uh, which is kind of the industrial business zone in the southwest uh, portion of of Brooklyn. And in that area also is rather underserved. Uh, They have very limited connectivity options. And so uh, once we start building out the fiber system over there, um, a lot of those businesses are quite excited. And that was actually a joint project that that we did with the city of New York back in 2015 to extend fiber out there.
0: Oh, okay. Was that part of the New York City master plan, or or not? Actually,
1: it was a pre-master plan. So oh, it pre-master was, master uh, plan. <laughs> pre, yeah. This was back 2015. So this was uh, officially called uh, Connect ibz uh, and ibz stands for Industrial Business Zone.
0: So, how much fiber have you built out so far in New York?
1: Personally, we have just over 80 miles worth of fiber installed, and so um, small in comparison to the large providers, but still pretty decent size for New York City compared that New York City is kind of a very small geographical footprint, so...
0: So as a provider, how does your business model allow you to build out fiber into areas that are not necessarily considered innovation hubs, like some of the neighborhoods that you were just talking about? What would you say is preventing other providers from reaching those those areas?
1: Stealth is um, you know, organically grown and we're entirely self-financed. My wife and I, mm-hmm. we actually own and operate the business since 95. And so for us, we have a longer- uh, investment horizons. Typically, a lot of providers have a very short investment horizon, typically five years, more or less. And so for us, you know, uh, our investment horizon might be more of a 10 or a 20-year type period. So it allows us to easily expand into areas without having to worry about uh, having uh, a quick return on investment. But uh, also, there's other competitive advantages uh, for us in particular. We do all our construction in-house, so we don't really subcontract the work out. So we have full-time employees are responsible for building up the infrastructure. So that helps us not only mobilize a lot quicker, but also helps um, control costs from ballooning out of control, which is typically when you contract out, things can happen unexpectedly. Uh, another interesting competitive advantage that we have, especially in New York City, and this is kind of what makes New York City very unique compared to anywhere else in the United States, is that in Manhattan and in portions of the Bronx, there's a neutral underground conduit system that allows independent providers like us to easily run down streets and avenues without having to rip the roadways um, often. With that, it lets us easily expand at a lower cost. But when we look at, let's say, Brooklyn, that doesn't quite exist, and so we have to literally dig every block. So it's a slower process. And even though we're self-financing it, you still you can only do so much construction on a daily basis with a crew. So each crew, for example, you know you can only do sixty to one hundred feet a day, you know, of construction. And so if you are doing, let's say, a couple miles, you know, you need a lot of crews running concurrently to be able to do that type of work.
0: So you mentioned you're self-financing this. Does that mean that you don't seek government funding at all?
1: In the past, no, uh, we've okay. never used government financing. But when we did connect IBZ, there was a grant that the city received via the state. And so in that particular case, yes, we did use uh, some government funding, but we did match, you know, one for one, so to speak, when building out that Brooklyn system. And perhaps we may have even exceeded that. So. But yeah, uh, so sometimes government intervention definitely can encourage infrastructure buildouts. And so it is an exciting time because we definitely see this happening now all around the United States.
0: Right now, we're, we're talking about a week after the Biden-Harris administration introduced $100 billion into their idea for, for an infrastructure plan. And there's a lot of discussion in Congress about a few different bills. So I would love your perspective, even though you're not seeking government funding yourself, I'd love your perspective on the discussions going on in Washington right now and how you think that money should best be distributed based on the lessons we've learned over the last decade or so of government funding being spent on the digital divide perhaps not so efficiently.
1: So for, for this, um, I kind of want to look at how the New York City model is. In New York City, because there's a n- this neutral underground system, we have a very competitive marketplace as it relates to, you know, for B2B. But when we look at the outer boroughs, again, let's say Staten Island, or uh, Brooklyn or Queens, we don't have this neutral underground system. So that means there's very little competition, you know, for residential or business services. That, that's what resembles the United States right now. We don't have enough competition, and so, hence, why we are subsidizing broadband providers uh, to be able to provide not only cost-effective um, service, but also to get them to extend out there. But Unfortunately, I don't think this is really sustainable for the country in the long term because we're just going to continue running our deficits up by subsidizing a provider or another provider to build out to a rural community. What I'm hoping for is this bill that is, you know, as it gets introduced, um, there's a version that perhaps instead encourages an investment in infrastructure that allows a better marketplace approach of independent providers alongside with traditional telco ISPs, if you will. And so perhaps uh, it might be, for example, neutral underground conduits and utility poles all across the United States. And that's a better investment for the government. Uh, This way, it's not really directing billions of dollars at a particular entity, so to speak, to force them to go out and expand service or force them to provide service at a cost. But instead having this uh, basic infrastructure, kind of like the superhighway, like this interstate system that we have, we need an interstate system system to be able to allow independent ISPs and ISPs of all types um, to be able to run through. And uh, if we could do that, that could definitely solve this problem by increasing competition, which will inherently create better service at a lower cost. And so that's kind of what our view is.
0: When we talk about solving the digital divide, we are talking about solving a huge inequity problem in our society. But we're also talking about a potential shift in what the economy of the U.S. looks like if we can get connectivity everywhere. You know, you're working in certain neighborhoods in in New York City that aren't necessarily, you know, Midtown is where you find a lot of the office buildings and areas of of Manhattan primarily. So I just wonder how you see small cities um, not typically thought of as tech hubs evolving over the next few years, particularly after this year that we've just gone through where, you know, remote work is is much more the norm than we ever thought it would, would be.
1: I think with this pandemic, I think a lot of people are becoming to realize that people can really work any way they want. And um, so this uh, means that smaller cities have the ability to compete with the larger cities like New York City, provided that they have the right infrastructure in place. A lot of emphasis has been put on broadband. And I think if the small cities and even rural or remote parts of, the, of America can figure out how can they build a, the physical infrastructure to attract independent telecom operators and ISPs and whatnot, then have the infrastructure to support uh, tech firms and or people re- re- working remote that need that internet connectivity. So it's becoming more realistic now.
0: Where are you looking to expand beyond uh, the areas of New York that you have already mentioned?
1: We still have a lot to, a lot of expanding to do in the New York City area. But uh, no, uh, hopefully, you know, we'll have an opportunity to look at New Jersey and perhaps upstate New York, you know, and Long Island, so nearby neighbors.
0: Yes, we could all use it. I mean, I'm sitting here in Manhattan, so uh, we appreciate all of your fiber. Um, has the pandemic changed your um, business model or plans going forward at all? I mean, you you obviously focus on fiber for business. Is. Um, are you looking to expand to get fiber to the home?
1: Yes, fiber to the home is definitely of interest for us. It's something that we're currently looking at right now. Now that you have know, the vaccine underway, we see a lot of activity coming back at the offices. So we're kind of excited about that. And um, and so, you know, we've been actually, we, we've been seeing this uptick in activity over the last uh, two months. So it's very promising. We also see some of our more institutional organizations, whether it's a schools or mid-sized firms, you know, they're beefing up their internet connectivity for twofold. One is they're getting prepared for employees coming back into their offices or students back into their schools, but also more people working from home, so they want to be able to handle that capacity. Very interesting times.
0: One last question for you. I'm curious to get your perspective on, you know, there's a whole range of technologies that we're, we're seeking to use to close the digital divide here in the U.S. and fix wireless and satellite as part of that. Obviously, you're a fiber provider, but I just love to get your perspective on what it's going to take to close the divide in, in communities across the U.S. Is it a combination of technologies? Do you want to see a fiber-first approach? Obviously, you know, that is your your particular business, but I'd love your your thoughts.
1: We need all the solutions you can get. I think fiber is the best, but it's impractical to get this in all parts of the insides and in every nook and cranny, so to speak. It's just too expensive and it'll just take too long. So it's definitely going to be an approach of fiber with that ground-based wireless. And we're very fortunate to have companies like SpaceX uh, to, be to deliver um, space broadband because that can truly reach very difficult places, you know, around the United States and around the world. And so, and as SpaceX continues their deployment of their Leo constellations later this year, space, you know, it's it's definitely progressing as very fast and that's promising. But on the ground, we definitely need more fiber because in order to make 5G successful or Wi-Fi 6 or whatever the new wireless technology is going to be, they have to be connected to fiber at the other end. And that's really the limiting factor. And if they don't really have fiber, even though they have 5G or Wi-Fi 6 or 6E, if it's connected to a slow DSL or cable connection... It won't do any good. And so this fiber fishery fundamentally still needs to be deployed out there.
0: Well, thank you so much, Shrihar. I really enjoyed getting the chance to talk to you. Keep me posted on anything else (laughs) related to the digital divide. Thank you so much Shrihari, for your time. And thank you to our producer Tian Fu for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the light reading podcast for more episodes of the divide as well as interviews and insights from the light reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.